everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-host, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pellicone. You are listening to episode 176, and tonight is a return slot episode where we will be talking about Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut, directed by Ridley Scott from 2005. Uh, stars Orlando Bloom, Ava Green, Jeremy Irons, David Thewlis, Brendan Gleeson, uh, Martin... He actually pronounced it differently. Uh, Kasukas, um, Edward Norton, Michael Sheen, the early role, Liam Neeson, has a 39% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 72% from audiences, but there's an asterisk next to that because most of that, from the critics at least, is from the initial release in 2005, um, where uh, the director's cut here has more positive criticism associated with it. Um. So Frank, we saw this together, correct? Like back yeah, in we we watched the original um two and a half hour cut when it came out in two thousand five. Yeah, that's what I, I thought we watched it together. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what were your feelings on that at the time? Do you remember? I felt like it was a subpar action movie with some really cringy um ideas and some poorly fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like a movie that I should like, but it was nothing that I enjoyed. I guess. It just fell short in so many different ways. That's yeah. the way to put it. And, we're, and when we watched this, because I, I was in the film, but it's like I don't know if I like. I knew who Ridley Scott was, but like when you went into this, were you expecting something more? I guess because of Ridley Scott mm-hmm. at that point. I don't know if I was expecting more. I mean, I don't know how much I really thought about Ridley Scott at that point in time, but. Yeah. I thought it might actually be, I don't know, like a somewhat interesting take on, like, because I was, when I was a kid, I was super into, um, you know, like the sword and sandal epic stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I really liked Errol Flynn and I liked stuff like um, Robin Hood and Ivanhoe and um, Excalibur, one of my favorite movies from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was super into like all that stuff. And I kind of expected something along those lines. Like, it was kind of exciting to me, the idea of, um, you know, because I enjoyed Gladiator. I thought Gladiator was a good movie. Um, so kind of exciting to think that, like, the guy that made Gladiator was going to do something along with, like, the Templars and, you know, the defense of Jerusalem and stuff. But I know, again, like, it, it, it suffered from, like, a lot of excesses that I think were common at the time in terms of, the way the combat was filmed in a lot of scenes is very like cluttered and fast and you don't really get like a sense of what's occurring and i'll i'll be honest like some of the things that i had problems with when we first watched it they carry over into the director's cut but i think it wrecks a lot of things that makes it worth like worth your while to watch um i don't know that i believed orlando bloom's uh evolution as a character Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just way too fast the way it moved from point to point. Yeah, I didn't think that it fleshed out like cool ideas it had enough at times. Yeah. Um, I did not like Ridley Scott's, and Ridley Scott is actually in a lot of ways kind of responsible for this, but his adoption of certain like modern indie film techniques, like, um, like washed out framing and slow motion and um 
almost like third wall breaking the way that like certain things are filmed yeah i thought it's kind of like there's like a like a like a dissonance to it that makes it like made it difficult to watch so yeah i mean i just remember like being kind of excited to see the movie um and then walking out and thinking like eh, like, yeah waste so. it's funny because i i remember this movie like going to i, I remember going and seeing it but i don't re i I remember the feeling of coming away from it more and thinking that there was there was a good movie in there somewhere. I liked, I remember, a lot of the stuff with the Muslim characters in it. Um, and I liked some of the performances in it um, sure. from some of the minor characters. And I thought that, like, there was elements that were really well filmed at times. And I thought that, like, production-wise, like, the costuming and stuff, like, was kind of cool. But I remember just thinking it wasn't a very good movie or story at all. And I think you're right. I think a lot of it, having watched this now, is probably related to character development and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and... Honestly, though, I don't, didn't remember a lot about the movie. I just remembered like little little slivers of it. And uh, what was that? Probably the year before. I actually remember, even though I haven't watched it since 2004, I, I remember Troy better as a movie than I did this movie um, hmm. uh, up until the other day when I rewatched this. Um, and I didn't really particularly like Troy either, um, even though I have some similar things to say. Is like I think there's some good performances in it, blah blah, blah. Um, uh, and then some good and some good scenes. Um, I would probably say similar to this movie. So I just have a feeling more than anything. But um, I know you really like this, and I enjoyed watching this uh, this director's cut overall. So this was one of those things where, and it was funny because I actually remember us being at Walmart when I bought the director's cut of this and you being like, seriously, like <laughs> why that movie was not good. And I said, I don't know. I just feel like maybe there's something here with an extra hour. Hmm. Um, and then being really impressed and you were very incredulous that it was like, yeah, so much better than like that. I thought it was so much better than what it had been. Right. Originally. Um, but we'll, when, as we go through the movie, we'll talk about like what, what's really improved um mm -hmm. small improvements and the things that are like legitimately like really big improvements to the overall story and just how that extra 50 minutes of footage um really does something to elevate this film to being something something very good if not close to great i would say yeah so um well let's go ahead then i mean like what what what's like if you had to start with like the number one like improvement for you like between the two what was it it's balin is the biggest improvement and fleshing out um balin is orlando bloom's character he's yeah. uh, a a poor blacksmith in france that ends up um through circumstance and i guess like divine providence kind of becoming like this um this hero and then kind of just becoming a normal man again but living a happy life um there's certain small elements to his story that they're not even small elements, but they're things that like, like explaining why the priest wants to, mm -hmm. like, so there's this priest in the beginning of the film that's um trying to get Balin to leave. Like he wants to kind of usurp Balin's position in, in the, um in the town. And there's really no reason for it in the beginning, like in the original script that she's just kind of like this, like boilerplate like evil clergyman kind of but then in the director's cut you find out that it's his brother and there's like past animosity and he wants to like kind of assume you know 
like take take his brother's land and kind of like gain like position in the town through it mm-hmm. um so when Balin kills him like there's actually some you know some emotional weight behind it and it also makes it more like you feel that there's more i don't know urgency with him like leaving to go and um join his like recently discovered father because it's um liam neeson's character plays uh what is it the earl of old Olbane or something like that, or baron of Olbane or whatever yeah godfrey i guess is what he godfrey goes right yeah by um who raped balin's mother and balin was a result and now he's like i want to take my you're my only son i want to take you on like my crusade to free jerusalem um or to defend jerusalem and there's just a lot of small things like i think that the um uh the character of a uh, gi mm-hmm. who's kind of like the villain of the movie he gets fleshed out a little more and it makes him because that was the problem is that like so many of these characters were just scenery chewers you know or it was just they were just like stereotypes right there was here's no just depth like to them. here's a line or here's like an action and mm-hmm. that's all you're supposed to really um like take away from the thing is and it's you know just like these large like broad paint strokes and there's actually i think a lot more um there's a lot more depth to especially the villainous characters like you get more depth out of gi um i think you especially get and it's not like a huge amount but you get a little more depth depth out of um brendan gleason's character who's reynald yes. who's kind of yeah. like this racist um warmonger that sort of like lives just to cause conflict between the christians and the the saracens the muslims um in order to kind of like force the crisis of like this holy war for jerusalem that is what they all want like these people who have come to crusade and it's becomes like a a nuance isn't the right word but there's more depth to all those subplots yeah so that like as you're watching like these political machinations play out and um, it doesn't just feel like rushed or empty or forced. Like there's actually some. Um... Yeah. And I feel I, I I feel like having not seen the original in so long that there was a little bit more with Sibylla, the Ava Green character as well. Um, that it felt makes... like she was more fleshed out. Right. So when so when she makes the decision to basically because she's um, Orlando Bloom's lover and there's. A really interesting like sequence in this in this movie where Orlando Bloom is sort of offered the keys to the kingdom of Jerusalem, and all he has to do is sort of tacitly allow her husband to get murdered, mm-hmm. um, and then he can marry her and he'll become king. And he refuses, and it actually like because you've learned more about these characters, his refusal sort of makes sense, and it's mm-hmm. it's not just like hollow. Like there's some nobility to it. And it also sort of makes more, it doesn't make her seem like, because I felt in the original cut that she feels sort of like soulless and conniving. Yes. Yep. And you understand more that she's doing it because she loves her son and she loves her city. Mm-hmm. And she's just doing the thing that she feels gives the best chance of survival of both. Right. She becomes a more sympathetic character in this, I think than i remembered her and it makes more sense when she becomes kind of uh, um like a comfort woman later like she's a nurse you know like tending Mm -hmm. to the wounded later in the movie um and sort of like 
has humbled herself it, it just makes a lot more sense there too yeah i i do remember thinking on the original viewing of this from the fir- from the original version is that like to her disassociation kind of that happens um at one point where she cuts her hair and all that kind of stuff uh didn't make a lot of sense and having like watch us now and then read about like what was at is like oh right <laughs> because yeah now now that whole like transition character wise makes a lot of sense for her um and it didn't it wouldn't have made any sense really um in the original so it re- feel, really felt like an oversight i think with that character what they did to her in the original um version of this yeah and a lot of it i think was just because and Ridley Scott like has talked about it that mm-hmm. there's a studio that's balking at the idea of an almost four hour long movie, like what, like three hours and forty three minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, minutes. Nah, it's yeah. like three twenty. Yeah. Is it one ninety four? Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. Anyway, but still, like way too long to release in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see like where they were, you know, a little afraid of making their money back. But I think that if I think that this is the beginning of the era where if you put a movie out that's worth seeing, that people will go to see it, no matter what the length is. Sure. And I think that's been proven out, you know, over and over over the course of the past, you know, 20 years since this movie was released. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, and the other thing, too, that I think is interesting about this movie, and this will be more in the excesses phase, but there's... A lot of interesting stuff in terms of how much it kind of looks like a more grounded version of Lord of the Rings movies in the way that he films certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, see that. I mean, it's 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 a really impressive achievement to. I think whenever you can recreate the look of a world that hasn't existed for you know yeah over a thousand years or whatever. Um, wait, is that right? Am I doing that math right? What? 1400 so like 700 yeah, years so whatever right. mm-hmm. um but there's also some things that i think are just kind of maybe they just didn't know how to you know i don't know just playing off what was popular um it feels a lot like gladiator to me in the way that he films those things like yes. the way that he tries to create almost like a forced feeling of antiquity by overexposing the film and um just like the dustiness and the haziness sort of that inhabits like you know the frame so yeah 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 uh that that's one of i only have like three things that i the things i didn't particularly care for in this um and that's one of them is that there's there's a way that it's filmed and i wish i knew more about it but it, it there's this like in the second half there's this dusty sheen across everything and i get it because i suppose you're in the desert or whatever but it's like the way that it's filmed and it's like a lot of movies that take place in the desert put that sheen on it and it's just kind of it's just as annoying as one of my other complaints which is the blue tint in the first half hour of the movie um like which signifies they're in england for some reason i don't know why i know that but it that that's what it's supposed to signify is they're in a colder well they're in he's in france isn't he france france sorry yes right. um but it's like they're in europe like and it's like it's this idea that like it, it, they do it in a lot of like movies that take place um around this time period in older times where it's like you get blue tints when 
you're like in european countries as opposed to like the uh right the middle east or something like i don't know why that is but it's like but that that just felt trite to me like that right the world is like empty and yeah barren and cold and yeah yeah so and look it makes sense thematically i get it like to some degree like you know but it's still so part of that i think is to condition your eye this is not a defense this is i think just kind of an explanation maybe Mm -hmm. but it's to condition your eye to feel the warmth of the desert more Mm -hmm. because you've been bathed in so many cold palettes up to that point that when you're finally like hit with like the oranges and yellows and reds of like you know the middle east that it makes you feel like warmer in Mm -hmm. watching it does that make sense it does it does yeah and i think it makes sense thematically too um it's just a little heavy-handed in the sense of you know, this is the place of his wife's suicide. This is like where he's murdered someone. This is uh this is a life that he would like to leave behind in some way. And like the the brightness of the desert offers a chance at renewal and rebirth and you know, like all these other things. Like I I, I get it. Like, you know, like I, I guess, but it's like I, I just feel that it's like uh, your practical reason makes just as much sense as well. I mean, um I, I just I just don't know if I care for the look of it. Is yeah, like I think the other, the I think the thing that bothers me more than the blue is the constant blowing of like embers or dust across every every scene in the opening like forty five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like whenever they're at a, a campfire, there's always just like a million like motes of dust and ash and ember like blowing across the screen. <clears throat> for no yeah. reason other yeah. than I guess it's like visually appealing. Right. Um so here's some of my issues I think with with just the filmmaking in general is if you look at the earlier works of Ridley Scott, and in particular you look at something like Alien, say, or um I don't like let's just look at Alien. Like Alien is a very Blade Runner made Blade Runner. or even they're very deliberate movies right Mm -hmm. like he has the patience to let something develop within the context of a scene and it's like whatever 30 years later everything has to be like kinetic motion like there always has to be something happening in like every frame and I don't know if this is when when is the born identity like 2001 2002 something like that the first one um oh shit um yeah 0102 maybe because that's what this really feels like 2002 yeah like everything is fast everything is just like elbows and swords and blur yeah and this movie like when it has a chance to breathe is when it's the most interesting, you know, the, uh, the scenes of like just the human interaction and the dialogue between these people. And I think that that was one of the things that was so exhausting about it in its initial, um, initial releases that it just felt like it was nothing but like scene after scene after scene of just fast, like sword play. And I don't know. I did one of the things that's, 
super annoying to me about modern movies, and I guess this is, I don't know whose fault this is, maybe Mel Gibson's fault, but like the slow motion strike that occurs where like everything slows down as somebody like brings a sword down, mm-hmm. a crash on someone, and then at the last second speeds it up. So that sword like cleaves somebody in half. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean, like I again, like I love stuff like Ivanhoe and Errol Flynn's movies, the um the Robin Hood movies, the swashbuckling movies. And there's a sense of adventure to like the sword play in those movies, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean it's like the complaints about the original Star Wars trilogy as opposed to like lightsaber battles in the prequels mm-hmm. where it's just a mess, but sure. you know, like you can watch Luke and Vader fight each other in, in Jedi and there's a sense of like grandeur to it. You know I mean? There's no, and maybe the whole and point practicality is, to it. Like you understand what's happening in it. Well, while right. You watch it. Because they're actually like sword fighting. Sure. Um, and maybe the whole point is that they're trying to show like the brutality and the, right utility of war and i i i think i think there's almost like a kurosawa feel to that opening fight when they're in the woods and the baron's men have come to claim balin from his father um for the murder of his brother and the father doesn't give him up and they they get in the the sword battle it kind of feels like something out of um i don't know like kagemusha maybe or Uh But even then, it still has way too much of the speed up, slow down. Yeah, um, I think maybe is the feeling that you're getting from that, because I I feel like I had something similar in one of the fights near Jerusalem at some point where they, it's the kind of almost like still images of bodies, like while things are like fighting is happening in the background, like there's a lot of blood there's a lot of gore it looks like you know and those kind of things remind me of those older type movies that feature war but it's like every time they go in closer to the actual fighting you're getting all that speeding up slowing down shit constantly um and it's too close you can't actually see what's going on like everything's too close to the participants in the battle um to where i don't feel like i ever know anything that's going on i just know that it's like chaotic fighting right um which is odd because i actually do like that fight at the end the one-on-one fight between gee and balaam um where it's just the two of them and i think it's fairly well choreographed and doesn't have a lot of that bullshit with it um of of manipulating the the speed as much um, and I thought it was like a a fight that made sense, like, you know, physically and stuff like that between the two of them. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know why you couldn't just film things without those conceits. But um, you it like is that frustrating. Fight? It's fine. I mean, like, it, it, it felt like a fight I would see on film from 40, 50 years ago. But mm-hmm. um, I feel like I was watching Raise the Red Fucking Lantern. <laughs> best movies of 1991 man it is a really good movie yeah um so yeah i i i i'm with you on like the fight scenes and it like for the the army kind of like fight scenes like i not really digging it like that much 
Um, that said, I would I want to pull it back to some pauses. I do think a lot of the cinematography is really good outside of those scenes. Yes. Yeah, there's some beautiful cinematography in there. Mm -hmm. But it also... Again, like, it's got a very gladiator feel to it, to me. Mm -hmm. Just because I... I mean, obviously, it's the same director just a couple years later. But um, it feels very derivative of his own work. But then it also feels like very... Like, I expect Charlton Heston to, like, pop out behind a rock or something. <laughs> Which, I guess, whatever. But, I don't know. Sometimes that movie looks really beautiful. Same cinematographer, too. Yeah. Um, sometimes it looks very... Um, very fake. Like, there's a couple of scenes where they're showing... Um, like, a palazzo or a mosque or something. And you can tell that there's some sort of cgi that's happening mm -hmm. in the sense that like that's not the real sky behind it or it doesn't actually belong yeah um and that kind of bothers me a little bit too but i always have to remind myself when i watch movies from this time that this is that like like gawky awkward phase between <laughs> mm -hmm. like cgi being like super on point and just kind of being this like cumbersome thing that a lot yeah. of directors didn't really know how to use, so... Yeah, even 10 years in, it's still kind of in this infancy at this point, you know? Where you get really embarrassing things, like, at times, like, uh, Day After Tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, if it were done today, it would probably look really good. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a specific scene where Balin is talking to... Uh, Tiberius, I think, maybe at some point, and they show the background um, behind Balin, and it's a sky, it's just a sky, and it's like, that's the fakest sky I've ever seen. Like, that's, yeah, that's that's so fake. I wonder sometimes, too, though, because so I think they were filming in Spain and some other places for this. Um, I wonder if it's not, if it's just bad color correction mm. like not necessarily that it's fake like it's not cgi but i think that in order to like make the blues bluer or kind of like emulate right. the sky that you know you wouldn't be able to see in the modern world because of like pollution and stuff that they are kind of like overcompensating in that color correction mm-hmm like in mm -hmm. post production, like mm -hmm. they're making things, yeah, like appear too blue. blue, and it makes yep. it like feel. That's specifically what's going on in that scene. Like the the background, it's like a dark, it's like a dark sky, but it's like too, it's too, too, too blue in its darkness, and like or purple, and you know, it's it, the colors like just yeah makes it stand out like way too much. It makes it look fake. Um, it's also because like you're dealing with an entirely medieval and archaic setting and whatever like everything that any kind of cgi especially at this point <laughs> oh my god sorry long week um at this point in the history of film like it's gonna like be so apparent that you're um you know you're watching like something that's been digitally manipulated or whatever mm -hmm. um but i i still think that I, I think that Kurosawa comparison is sort of apt in the sense that I think that's what he's going for in his 
um, small combat with like hardened men in the forest, and then like I the the siege of Jerusalem is is brilliant, I think, and I mm-hmm. one of the more exciting scenes in the movie to me. Um, I love the whole like, and again, it feels very like Excalibur too, which I'm sure like you love that comparison, but um, <laughs> very very like Borman esque. And when they're like knocking down the siege towers and stuff, like there's that that's always super awesome to me, like seeing stuff like that. Um, so I marked out pretty hard. Yeah, I I I I didn't hear anything past bore. Um. <clears throat> Back to the character, I, I I think that I think my final conclusion about this of why I liked it because we've been talking about a lot about like the filming and and some of the problems with it. But I think the reason I like this, I you nailed it. The first thing you said in the character development, I think the pacing also adds to this. Like by stretching it out, which sounds like an odd thing, especially for me who likes things to be concise. Um and get things across i think by stretching it out and adding in more and slowing the movie down it made it more digestible for me yeah so i could actually follow along with not only the character development and some of those more quiet scenes but also understand the intricacies of the plot and the motivations more um rather than everything the first time i saw it just like this thing happens and then this thing's happening this guy's doing this thing and this person's doing this thing and she's doing this um now it's like i'm following along with like the 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 more the subtler i think things that are going on with the characters at times um and ultimately allowed me to i think understand the movie more um by the end not only from a plot standpoint and a character standpoint but i think also the message that that scott's trying to get across here overall um because the first time it's like i don't think i took anything away in terms of like what scott might be suggesting um in the making of this movie um because this is pretty ballsy to make this movie in 2005 and i don't think i recognized that either at the time um it's like oh it's crusades gotcha all right (laughs) um i i don't think i like understood the full weight maybe of like how how much guts it took um to to delve in to to this uh during that time period but yeah i think like the character development the pacing ends up affecting the plot itself and it just makes it a a good movie like that's enjoyable to watch yeah i agree with that um I also remember thinking this at the time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again about this too. Jeremy Irons is good in this. Um, I think Ava Green's really good in this. This might be the best thing I've seen Ava Green do, honestly. Um, uh, out of the handful of things, um, Neeson's Neeson, Brendan Gleeson delivers like he almost always does. Um, I Ed Norton acting behind the mask as king baldwin it's always astounding to me how fucking impressive that guy really is it's really good because <laughs> it's like he's behind a mask and it's like you still feel like you know the character even being a behind the mask the entire time 
Like he yeah. has like these little things that he does in terms of mannerisms and inflection that it still creates a character never seeing the character until after death, I guess. Like, you know, but um but um I think it's really impressive, like what Norton does, like in that ten minutes of screen time probably or something like that. Um with never actually seeing Norton whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, but it also is, like, there's just a weird, like, creepy humanity to that, like, sculpted face, like, the cast mm-hmm. in Iron, um, and just, like, his, I don't wisdom and nobility, I guess, mm-hmm. is, um, like, really apparent. It is a really good performance. I like, what's his name? Zon- Zakus, is that how you say the guy's name? Uh, he, he, uh, yeah, it's not like Larry Zonka, like, it's, um, he, they, he pronounces it, uh, Kasukas. Kasukas? Yeah. So, like, Greek, I guess? Yeah, I think so. Um, he's fantastic in, um, his role as, uh, the Guy de Lusain, or whatever you say it. Yeah. Um, where I thought that he was kind of just like a, cardboard isn't the right word, but just kind of like a cookie cutter, like, villain. Yeah, it's very stock, I think, in the first. Um, they definitely give him more more to do in showing his, his love for Jerusalem and why like, he truly believes that he's doing God's will and eliminating mm-hmm. the Muslims. It's not just, you know, right, some power-hungry monster or whatever, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think all the performances are good, and I think that it's really... Um, but when you say that, I think that's really... It's a, it's a, it's a really important thing to have to add into that movie. Like, the, you, the fact that it's like... You do that movie without believing that Guy doesn't, like, fully... Isn't fully invested in thinking he's doing God's work. Like, if that's not hit upon... Right, like to me, it's like you lose a large part of this movie, and you lose a large part of like probably like the what's going on, like with the message of the movie uh, about ultimately Christians and Muslims battling over a piece of land. I mean, you have to believe that, and then the fact that it's like if you didn't watching it the first time around, you've lost a major piece of that movie because. Yes, he's the villain of this movie, like, and, um, you know, and I think he does play, like, a really good, like, heel um, to the Balin character, but he believes he's noble, and he believes he's right, and I think that's really important, and if it's, like, he's just a stock villain, then the movie just doesn't mean anything. Right. And ultimately, like, I... There's a lot more separation between when he leads his crusaders out to their ultimate defeat and when he comes back um, in the director's cut. Like, I would say probably an additional, like, 10 or 15 minutes. And mm-hmm. I think they're, like, pulling him away. I don't know how to say it. it. It sort of, like, gives the character more weight when he comes back a little bit mm-hmm. because he's been gone for a little longer. and Sure. The failure yeah. is so complete. So Right. Yeah. No, you're. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, um, because you don't think he's gone. You know he's not gone, but it's like enough time to actually 
feel like time has passed. Yeah. And yeah, it gives it more weight during the return. Yeah, that, no, I think that's exactly right. I didn't think of that. But um, but you look at like the siege portion of the movie. So about like 20, 25, 30 minutes of the movie on the siege of Jerusalem. And you compare it to something like the siege of Helm's Deep, for instance, and um, the two towers or whatever. And it's so much more interesting, I think, and feels so much more grounded mm-hmm. for being, like, incredibly similar, really, in terms of, like, what happens in that movie. Um, especially in the sense of, like, defending, like, the weakened wall and all that stuff. I mean, it's very, mm-hmm. very yeah. similar. Right. Um, but, yeah, just, I don't know. Maybe Ridley Scott's, like, last great movie. Um sometime sometime in the next couple of years i'm going to get you to watch the last duel um and and we'll see uh because i think actually i put it on really my watch good. list today because it's it's on uh, hbo um, i think yeah yeah it's i i really enjoyed that movie i thought it was really good um uh there's something else that he's done that i haven't watched yet but i i know i wanted to um at some point that was him that did House of Gucci, right? I still haven't mm-hmm. watched that yet. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet I have it on my computer here. He's also got some Napoleon, I guess it's a movie. Uh, I don't know if it's a movie on... or an app or a TV show. And a- on Apple, I guess, right? Yeah. Oh, it's Joaquin Phoenix. Garbage uh, again. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, it looks like it's, yeah, it's a movie. Um, it's going to be Apple Plus exclusive. Yeah, I... A couple of things I wanted to bring up here is like this might be what's Bloom's breast roll? You Pretty sick of it. Even see what they are. Got a I mean, scene, if, obviously. I mean, if it's not this, then what? Right. Right. And it's like I I, I think this is probably the best thing I've I've seen him in. And there's still times where I'm like. It's pr- it's still pretty wooden. Like if I had to be like honest about like it's not bad. I wouldn't even say it's good. Like the the performance in this, but it, there's still a woodenness to it at times that I feel like a a different actor could pull you in a bit more. Um, at times this role, like he's serviceable. It's a solid movie. It's a good movie. I enjoyed watching it i enjoy that character i just i just wonder i mean i guess that's why bloom doesn't get like a lot of work maybe like nowadays yeah i mean i feel that like probably probably legolas is the most consistent performance right um where he really feels like it feels like a lived-in character you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's an alienness to legolas but there's like more humanity maybe than there is in somebody like um what's his name will whatever from oh, the yeah. mm-hmm. pirates of the caribbean movies right um this character i think yeah to your point it's like it's much better than the original take on this character because mm-hmm. there's a real feeling of relief and satisfaction for him at the end of this movie yes when you see him kind of let go of his wife and let go of the things that he's been carrying with him 
and just accept like this new life with this this woman that he obviously loves and it makes more Mm -hmm. sense that they're together because she's been fleshed out more right but there's also a lot of stuff in this in this movie where he still comes across like a like a sanctimonious like dick kind of for no reason and it's like i mean i guess i understand the whole I, i i still think it feels too fast with him coming to love Liam Neeson as a father. Yes. Where that that doesn't really feel earned. And like, how long can you make the movie, right? But sure. I think you needed to see more times with them sharing ideas and talks. And mm-hmm. I think you needed to have a little more to really feel appropriate to him. Kind of having this crisis of conscience over murdering his brother. And right. again, I mean, I think that it's much better because you find out those things. Like, sure, sure. It's crazy to me to think that you didn't know in the right. movie <laughs> that that dude was his brother or anything about a connection between yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. He's just like kind of like he's kind of a dick, and then now he's murdered. But yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I Bloom is kind of like he is just Legolas. I mean, that's the character that he's sort of meant to play and i think it's because it is kind of like an alien mm-hmm. yeah. role in a lot of ways yeah so the, the only other thing i think i had in my notes here is um something we talked about a little over text is uh the on oh, my negatives is the romance subplot um because man like just like the 10 minutes of the romance piece where she falls in love with him and i guess he's falling in love with her that that i don't know i'm not sure if i was ever clear on that in this sequence either but um scott just relies on the trope of staring from a distance at someone to show that they are falling in love with them and that is something i am just not down with or here for anymore like i can't do that trope anymore it's yeah, so it's it, it's it's really to me the the thing that's the most egregious on that is he's building the aquifer or whatever. So that that, that that's another thing that I think kind of like brings this character down is I think we're at the point where the great white hope figure is like maybe a little tired mm-hmm. in a movie and a hundred percent like here's this like number one like why is he so good at everything like he was a blacksmith he wasn't a friggin' like <laughs> right architect or whatever yeah. like hyper genius like he was a dude that made swords and he understands like irrigation and i don't know right so that but how can you uh, that's, that's me being really cynical sorry <laughs> i was gonna say how how can you have him like float the little boat like down like the water though like you know if he if he's not good at that right um, i don't know i i just I, I really do like this movie it's just that there there are some things that are just kind of like slightly triggering i think like at times like where you're just kind of like uh okay but yeah the the deep meaningful like hidden smiles and mm-hmm staring off like she's hiding behind the um the intricate like 
wicker work of I don't know whatever blah 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 right yeah well there's also the, there's also the one that you point out to me where it's like she um she's in the bathhouse for some reason she's got to be in the bathhouse I guess and like you know like just covered up a little bit and it's like she's like staring at him from the bathhouse and he senses yeah someone staring and is like turning and like looking like you know like who's watching me and it's just like oh man like he just like seriously it's like 10 minutes like off and on just like staring from a distance um it feels like and and then ultimately sex undercovers um to solidify the relationship it's just a really um i don't know someone that like is just really phoning in that romance subplot to me um or doesn't know how to create one um that's meaningful but yeah, that was the only sequence where I was just like sitting there in the like tire like ten minutes, just like rolling my eyes and just like, oh man, like what are you doing, Ridley Scott? Um, but I mean, I think that I think that Scott really is trying to emulate stuff like Ben Hur or Spartacus or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of stuff where you can kind of see even like smaller things like I Claudius and stuff like that from the seventies, where you can kind of just see like where Scott's inspiration is from. Um, and it is like 20 years old. So, you know, whatever. I just, I don't know. I think that in the modern world, like the, um, you know, the entire like Muslim population of uh, Jerusalem probably doesn't need like the one white dude to come save them. <laughs> Right from like everything, yeah, and sh- and show him show him the meaning of humility and the love of God. I mean, like, because he basically like solves all the world's problems and rescues like everyone that's actually a good guy in the movie, mm-hmm. and right still gets the girl in the end. Uh, sure, I I do really like the uh, performance from the actor that played um uh was it Saladin is that right? Yeah. Um Sal uh, Sal Saladin. Saladin. Um yeah. and I like that uh exchange at the end of that movie, um, with the two of them. Yes. Um a lot when he gives up Jerusalem. Like, uh that's really good too. Yeah, the every nothing and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I like him coming in. Saladin, def- like coming who defends in. Jerusalem? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, all that stuff is <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I like him coming in though, um in like the wake of like taking it over and like this the the really slow like walk through, like and like seeing the cross on the ground and like all that kind of stuff. I, I, I like that stuff too. Um, like in the the erecting of new, you know, symbols and stuff. Um because ultimately, like I, I, maybe I'm misreading this. The message I think that I think you're supposed to take for for a movie that is being released during a very political time. Sure. I find the movie to some degree to be largely like almost like apolitical, in the sense that it's like it feels like the only message here politically isn't pro Muslim or pro Christian pro U S like, but anything like that, it's more of like somebody at some point needs to stop. 
Well, I mean, it's it's an anti-war film. Yes, right. That's what I'm saying. It's like that's the ultimate message in that scene is at some point somebody has to sit there and go, okay, take it. <laughs> right. Like, and go I'm off just, and, right. and live. Like, what is, what is this little, like, block of land matter? I'm just going to take my people and leave. Um, yeah, because what is the... Is, what, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. It's like we fight over... Like an offense that we did not give, um, and I can't remember the rest of it. But it's like, yeah. But I actually that that speech really bothers me because that's very like I hate to use this term, but that's very much like Ridley Scott mansplaining, like why religion shouldn't matter, and you know, like cool Ridley Scott, but that's obviously not the way the world is. So I don't know. Maybe that's what making a statement is in any event. Um, ah, that's that that's a little condescending to me, like that whole that whole part. But um, I don't know. It is pretty daring to make a movie like this, and you know, because he had to start filming at what, like two thousand three, probably. Yeah. So you're talking probably. about you know two years after at least development started by then. Yeah. September eleventh, and right to have like. To not like just make the Islamic characters like the the cookie cutter villains, but also not to like completely exonerate them, you know, because the one the one character is basically Gidi the Sane just on the other side of the, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's really important that he gets a little more depth so you can kind of see that parallel, right? And it it has you know some import like kind of kind of watching those two characters even though I don't think you get as much. Um, as much development with the one on the the Islam side, but you don't, and I actually think that is like something again. Like I'm making this movie like definitely four hours now, but it's like I wish we would have got to spend more time with those characters. Yeah, it would have been better, I think. Um, um, it's the it's it's what keeps it from being like like a classic movie, I think, or like a all time classic. It's it's. It's just a really good movie that borders on being great at times. Yep. I Um, agree. But definitely a hundred times better than the original release. And it's Mm -hmm. crazy that, you know, you need to add 50, like almost an entire hour of extra footage into a film to get it to that point. But yeah, you definitely needed to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I'm excited. Yeah, I hope you actually watch um the last duel. Now that you've had that, because um I so I'm interested in you watching um this that to see what you think of a Ridley Scott movie that's recent. I watched a Spin Chagrin movie already this this weekend, and spoiler mm-hmm. alert, there's two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one I watched was fucking ridiculously bad. Anyway, um, I have to watch Moana this weekend. Okay. Um, I've been promising people at work that I was going to watch Moana for like a month now, okay. and I've just never done it. So tomorrow, after I finish watching the two episodes of Mandalorian, I'm behind. <laughs> um, I'm going to watch some Moana, and then I'm going to watch Last Soul. So that's my okay. Saturday plans. Okay. Nice. And I'm going to read. I think a little bit. Hmm. Let me let me what plug a read? book. I want I want to plug a book that I just finished. Okay. Um, because I don't we don't really talk about like reading very much because both of us are slugs and we don't read anymore. Right. Um, I've really gotten into this writer named Grady Hendrix recently. He is a horror author that also is kind of like a historian in horror fiction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he's worked with um, Valancourt Books, which I don't know if you remember them from the 80s, but they were like, when I was little, one of the things I was able to do every week was um, we would go to like the, the Elkton newsstand or the Northeast newsstand and I could buy like a book to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always buy like, you know, like either like a sci-fi or a fantasy, but a lot of times I'd buy like these Valancourt like horror novels. <laughs> so Grady Hendrix um, has basically like curated like a bunch of these old horror novels and re-released them. Mm. Um, he's got a really good sensibility for what makes horror good, like what makes something scary, but also with building a compelling story, like in that in that framework. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book I just read was called "How to Sell a Haunted House," mm-hmm. and probably one of the best horror novels I've read. I really enjoyed Doctor Sleep. I really enjoyed some of the Joe Hill stuff I read. Um, but definitely, you know, in like 20 years, I think he's he's really got a strong voice. So That's really um, interesting, only because like I just I, I didn't know the guy's name, but um just last night, um uh my friend Candace was reading that book. Um so that's a how to, nasty, how to nasty sell a coincidence. House. Yeah. <laughs> nasty it's, coincidence, yeah. It's really good. It's very, it's very, very modern. Um, it doesn't fall into the, a lot of the tropes that like the older, like eighties stuff would fall into. So kind of like grotesque, like sex scenes and, mm-hmm. um, over description of like violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has like a really good way of building tension and, um, like eerie ambiance and his, his words, um he's he's written a couple movies too that i think are just okay like i like him better as a novelist but he wrote a hudson valley aboriginal movie um called mohawk that was pretty good Mm. um sort of like the opposite of like the white man's burden it's like the um the native people saving like the white men from each other Mm -hmm. um and then he wrote a movie called um shit oh satanic panic yes satanic panic Uh uh-huh um which is pretty decent too yes it's a decent movie yeah nothing earth shining but it was good um nice okay yeah that's definitely um i've been talking about it at home recently is that once i I have to start reading during the summer again i think like um i i have such a hard time reading just because i'm reading constantly like all the time like for work but um i think once the summer hits like i need to start like trying to like read again like reading like you know book or two a week um during that time so one of the things that i've decided to do um i just bought two i just won two lots of old 80s horror novels on ebay Hmm. um so like 12 or something total um and i've also i picked up another one of these of grady hendrix books um horror store which is currently um in pre-production i think as a um, film at film adaptation Mm -hmm. um so i just wanted to just start reading in general like I don't know, like, kind of what what I used to do, like, trying to read, like, one book a week and, mm-hmm. you know, 
so yeah. I'm pretty excited. But like reading his 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 novel, it kind of reinvigorated that love of. I don't even know why I picked it up. I think like somebody mentioned it on a Reddit thread somewhere, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it just sort of like clicked with me. So yeah, nice. Oh, all right. Well, um, we will be back next week with oh, we're filming so many things out of order, or recording so much out of order. What is it? What is next week? Uh, two thousand one or. 2000 it's march 2002 uh or two sorry 20 2000 yeah 2002 right what Horror movies next 2003 week? no 2002 we've already done 2002 didn't we yes for next week <laughs> so next week we'll be back um we're, we're getting, wait what get, getting all twisted up here um <clears throat> so that hasn't come out yet no, we're getting ahead, Frank, for when you go away. Oh my god, we recorded that like a year ago. It was two weeks ago, yeah. Um, But yes, you will hear us talking about the top five horror movies of 2002 next week. Um, And uh, then, um, yeah, and then April will have a couple return slots um, and the top five horror movies of 2003 um, while Frank is uh, uh, away on vacation. Oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> you have so, no idea i'm sure uh 26 so. days buddy yeah it's nice all right so thanks for listening everybody hope you enjoyed i will be back next week with horror movies 2002 deuces